Tim's little pythons in his shirt and his voice coming out of his chest. I must not be eating my Wheaties enough. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I just want to share a, a short story with you from Luke chapter 2. Today is Father's Day and we are all here because of our Heavenly Father. Some of us have good, some of us have bad, some of us now have none um, relationships with earthly father, but, but we do not worship, but for one reason, our earth or heavenly father so loved the world that he sent his only son. So whoever believes in him should never perish. Luke chapter two reads in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. Could you imagine your mom? (laughs) After three days of searching high and low for you, could you imagine how happy she would be to see you, but also how bad it would hurt walking home, you know, from that encounter? It's going to be painful. But do you spank God or not? I don't know. Good thing he didn't ask me to be the parent. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Why have you done this to us? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Some translations will translate it. Did you not know I was doing my father's work? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to him and they went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I couldn't help but to picture Jesus, 12-year-old boy, in the temple, answering questions, asking questions, and debating scripture with these scholars and rabbis. And he said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Did you not know I must do my father's work? Was the same 12-year-old boy that would become a 33-year-old man in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was arrested and to be crucified, crying out in the garden, Father, Abba, Father, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. If there's any other way, we know the rest of the story. This is why we have a cracker and a bit of juice. Every single week we do this in remembrance of him. But it was in that garden, in the same city that he was once lost, but then his parents found him. It was in that garden of Gethsemane that Jesus cried out, Abba, Father, if there's any other way. What else did he say? He said, not my will be done, but yours, Father. The will of the Father was to crush him. The will of the Father was to pierce him 
for our transgressions. The will of the Father was to crush him for our iniquity so that you and I can joyfully and, and, and every single week, week in a very celebratory way take these elements because we now have victory. Because we, as David said, may I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You and I, through this death on the cross 2,000 years and years ago, now have the right that we will stand in the presence of our heavenly Father forever. The same 12-year-old boy that was lost was the same 33-year-old man that cried out, Father, please take this cup. Now, here's what I want us to do. If you could remove your cracker as we take this bread. And this cracker is to represent for you and I the bread of life, the body broken 2,000 years ago on Calvary. So that you and I can be and dwell in His presence forever. And if you were to open the lid to this juice, and if you were to just look at it for a second and think of the same 12-year-old boy that would grow up to be the 33-year-old man crying in the garden, shedding his blood on a cross hours later to wash us whiter than snow. May we do this in remembrance of him. And as you dispose of those, I would like to pray with you. But here's what I would like to pray for you. Twelve-year-old Jesus in the temple was concerned about his father's work. Thirty-three-year-old grown man Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was concerned about his father's work, which was to redeem you and me. So my prayer is that you would consider today your father's work. Are we concerned about our father's work? He was concerned about his father's work more than he was accompanying his family back to their home. He was concerned about his father's work more than he was that he was literally bleeding in his sweat to then die on a cross. Are we concerned about our Father's work? And that work is to go and to share the gospel message of Jesus to the ends of the world. Let us pray. Father, we come today to celebrate Father's Day here on earth and And we are just humbled because of how good you are to love us so much to know that the, the law cannot be fulfilled in us, but only in you. And you loved us so much that you offered to us a gift that we can never earn or deserve. And that the same Savior who was in the temple at 12 was the same Savior on his face at 33, concerned to fulfill your work. And your work was to crush him for our sin, to pierce him for all of our transgression. And by his stripes, we may be healed. So, Father, I just pray that each and every one of us would consider the work of our Father. That we would consider 
that we are to be parents, spouses, according to your word. That we are to be vessels on this earth according to your word. That we are to be concerned about the work of our Father. Which is to bring glory and honor to you in all that we do. And to preach the gospel message to the ends of the world. May we truly leave here today concerned. And and truly actively participating in the work of you. Whether that just be being a spouse for the moment whether that being a grandparent or a parent for the moment, whether that be leading a Bible study or a life group for the moment, whether that be singing on a stage or preaching behind a pulpit for the moment, whatever it may be, may we leave here focused on our Father's business. We love you. We thank you. We cannot praise your holy name enough. And in the mighty name, victorious name of Jesus Christ, all of God's children said, Amen. We'll move along and go to Romans chapter 8. Huh? <laughs> I'll play the clarinet. Whatever. Bring the trombone first chair back in the house. I know where it's at. I can get it now. Pratt family's got, got a connection there. So, all right, Romans chapter 8. We're going to get into it. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. And what we're probably going to do is break up chapter 8 over these next two weeks today and tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but, but next Sunday. And, and then we'll finish chapter 8. We might continue on in the book, or there might be a Sunday interruption um, where we interrupt our series with something that, that I've been reading into and God's really been uh, opening my heart to. And it's, it's just something very profound that it started whenever I shared stories with my girls. See, we've been doing these things called family worship. And, um, you know, some nights are better than others. You know, some nights I read to them out of the Kings about slaying each other. And, you know, then they're punching each other in the face and wondering why, you know, why they're doing certain things that they are. And then we'll read the the New Testament, you know, it's a little friendlier and, and we'll read the book of Acts. And then I, you know, I've just been thinking about how Instructing my kids, my girls, is the most important thing to me. I have to tell you that um, my wife and my girls are the most important things to me other than Christ. You know, other than this pulpit, I mean, b- above this pulpit would be my wife and my, and my four girls. So if I were to ever, uh, you know, step down from here, get kicked out of here, I would still have four little girls looking up to me to continue them on. And it was in our family worship time that God's really been... S- you know, just kind of pouring his word or revealing his word in new ways. And it kind of made me think about Romans chapter 8, where we see such a rich chapter of the Bible that God has given to us as our Heavenly Father to instruct us and to shape us in many ways. And here's what I want to share with you. Uh, back when Michaela and I were in Jacksonville, North Carolina, where we lived for a couple of years, we attended what was then called First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. Well, it's now been renamed as Catalyst Church. And uh, they're a you know, pretty big church, multi-site, multi-campus, whatever. And I can remember years ago, and for, for whatever reason, I have this really keen memory, 
you know, keen uh, memory. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately, I remember a lot of things, the good things that you all say to me or do to me and the bad things that people say and they do to me. And um, part of that keen memory is I can remember our pastor in North Carolina teaching through the book of Romans and referring to the book of Romans as the most profound book by many scholars in the Bible. And Romans chapter 8 to be the most profound chapter in this most profound book. This is why I want to go through it um, over a couple weeks' time because there is so much in it. And just as I, you know, sit the girls down and we and we do Father Abraham like five, six, seven, eight times, whatever, whatever Boss Baby Annie Mae wants, you know, we all, all sometimes have to do. And and we do Father Abraham, and I, and I just picture myself reading the Bible to them and trying to teach them all of these very profound theological topics. And in Romans chapter 8, we see all of it. So as much as I'm trying to teach them all of these very deep things and these shallower things, in Romans chapter 8, we see it all. If you were to read one chapter of the entire Bible, many scholars believe that this chapter would be the most profound chapter you could read. And that's always up to debate. There's a whole lot of chapters of the Bible, and every single one's good. But this is to be considered by many as the one chapter where all is covered. So we're going to start in chapter 8, verse 1, and here we go. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit." For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with, it, with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In that 16 verses, what was it, 17 verses, there is a whole lot that leads us to cover even more next week. So I want to just, I, I want to start at the very beginning of this. I want to bring up a few things that you see right away. And then I want to pose one big question, one big yet very simple question. The question is this, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Jesus said, if you remember the, the uh, the time he referred to himself as the vine and we the branches, he said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will live. If you abide in me and I in you. So the question I just want to simply ask is, are you in Christ? And it seems pretty simple. Well, I'm in church. That's not in Christ. Well, I'm into giving in the offer. It's not in Christ. Well, I'm, I'm a good person Yet, being a good person does not necessarily mean you are in Christ. So it sounds very simple, but right away we see a couple of things. Uh, you know, and it's kind of a coincidence, and I did not plan this whenever we started preaching through the book of Romans. I did not know that on Father's Day weekend we would be reading about being adopted by our Father in Heaven with a spirit of, of adoption as we cry out, Abba, Father. But here we are as children of his, and it also says that we are heirs, which means that we are to inherit it, or we are to be receiving an inheritance that you and I can never purchase, earn, or deserve. And if you've ever received any kind of inheritance, you know that it is nothing that you worked for. Anytime you are passed down an inheritance, which some of them can be good, you can receive a lot of money, a lot of land, some possessions. Sometimes you can inherit a lot of debt. And, you know, you didn't work for either one, but you're going to pay off the debt now, or you've got the, you've got the toys, or you've got the land. So an inheritance, being an heir, is you are to receive a reward that you did not actually do anything to purchase or to earn. And to be co-heirs with Christ means that you and I are going to dwell in the same glory and the same majesty forever and ever as He is. So you and I, in Christ, have something to look forward to. If we are not in Christ, we have to be fearful. Because if we think this earth is all that it is, we are, we are sadly mistaken that there will be eternal condemnation. The word condemnation says, or it refers to a sentencing of eternity. So whenever the, the writer uh, Paul writes, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying, Paul is not saying that there is no accusing or, you know, accusation that could be put against you. He's not saying that you and I are now perfect because we are in Christ. He's not saying that there's not things that we could be accused for because in people who are in Christ are still imperfect, though they are being perfected by the word of God and the spirit of God. If you are in Christ and you are here and you are perfect now, just raise your hand. I mean, if you are perfect and all you do, just raise your hand. Some of you were imperfect this morning. You were. You were probably short-tempered with your kids. Spank, I had to spank a kid this morning. I did. Some of you probably sped on your way to church this morning. And you were imperfect on your way to church. I mean, just raise your hand. If you were imperfect this morning, 
Some of us, I mean, we are all in But that does not negate that we are still in Christ. So just because we are in Christ, does that mean that we are going to be perfect? So that whenever we fall short and are now imperfect, oh, well, I guess God does not love me. I guess God did not truly save me. So here is one of the things that happens whenever we are truly in Christ. And we'll cover here in just a moment um, how that is to be, you know, how it looks applied in our everyday lives. But whenever the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit, it is a constant reminder that we don't have to wander around life wondering if God loves us. Whenever we walk in step with His Spirit, whenever we are in His Word, what we will find is that His Spirit Spirit bears witness to our spirit, which reminds us that we are truly His children. We don't have to wander around life wondering, well, does God really love me? Did God truly forgive me of all of this? And, you know, do I need to, do I need to do something more? Do I, you know, do I need to try to earn back his love or his favor? The spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. Therefore, we can walk confidently knowing that I am his son. You can walk confidently knowing and proclaiming you are his daughter. Even though you are imperfect, you are in Christ. Even though you may make mistakes, you are in Christ. Even though you are not who, you know, you might want to be at all times, you are still in Christ. And if we aren't careful, we'll wander around life wondering, well, does God really love me? Well, the scripture is clear that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son and crushed him on a cross to redeem you. And if you and I are in Christ, then we are recipients of his spirit. And his spirit is to bear witness with our spirit. So a couple of things that we see in this text. First is condemnation is canceled. Condemnation canceled. Condemnation is, you know, is a reference to an eternal sentencing. Eternal sentencing. So if you and I choose to live by the flesh, meaning we just continue to do things that we know are against God's word and against God's way, we just continue to desire fleshy things, we just continue to comfortably live in fleshy desires and lusts, and all of our lifestyles would contradict you know, maybe the way that we talk about ourselves or maybe the way we try to portray ourselves as Christians. If, if, our, you know, if, our, if our lips and our legs do totally different things, then one, we are a hypocrite, but two, we're probably still in the flesh. And what Paul says, that those who are in the flesh will die. Those who walk by the Spirit will live. So whenever we choose to stay in the flesh and reject this free gift of salvation in Christ, then you and I truly live by the flesh. We walk by the flesh, and the wages of sin is death. The wages of living in the flesh is death. And that is an eternal separation from our Father in heaven, in which we will be rightfully sentenced to. There is no one going to end up in hell and say, I didn't deserve to be here. Everyone that goes to heaven other than Jesus is going to say, I did not deserve to be here. But because of Christ, we are there. But everyone that is sentenced to eternal separation in hell will never be able to try to say, well, I, I didn't, I don't know what I did deserve to be here. Because all of us born in this planet, on this planet and earth, are born into a sinful state and who, if we are not careful, will walk by the flesh. And walking by the flesh, the Bible clearly states, will end in death. So if we choose to, we will be rightfully condemned by our Father. 
Now here's the, the other part of that. God is still loving sinners and still jealous for them to repent and come to salvation in Christ. But we have to understand that those who live by the flesh are rightfully condemned. Those who abide in Christ are rightfully justified because the condemnation that those who are in Christ would have been recipients of has been poured out in full upon Christ on the cross. So 2,000 years ago, as Jesus hung on the cross, the full wrath of God and the condemnation that you and I should have been recipients of was satisfied in the bloodshed on the cross. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, you will read the story of Adam and Eve, and you all know the story. That stinking woman (laughs) ate from the tree, right? All, always the woman's fault. We've been waiting on a woman to, I'm just kidding. But, but Eve ate from the tree that she was told not to eat from. Adam, what did he do? He ate the tree. He ate for the fruit as well. Well, if you read the rest of that story, you will see that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. And what did they wear? They wore animal skin. An animal had to be killed and blood had to be shed in order to clothe them or to cover up their sin. So whenever they walked out of the garden, God, our heavenly father, gifted them this clothing. And what he did is he slayed an animal and he provided them clothing. And ever since the garden, God has gifted forgiveness to people. And it's always been, it's always been carried out in the bloodshed of sacrifice. Whenever you read through the Old Testament, you will read that it is the bloodshed of sacrifice and the burnt offerings that were a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So this is why on Calvary 2,000 years ago, as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world bled for you and I, our Father in heaven was pleased. Why? Because dating all the way back to the garden, the only, the only way to atone for or to cover for sin is through the blood shed. So when Jesus came, he was the final sacrifice once and for all. Here it is on the mountainside. Jesus hung on a cross and he shed his own blood to cover us and to atone for our sin, to forgive us of our sin. Therefore, upon him was the chastisement of men. Upon him was the condemnation that people like you and I in and, all, in and of our own selves should have been rightfully recipients of. But because of Christ, the condemnation that you and I should have received has been canceled. And we can declare confidently that we are made new in him. So the second thing that we see is that we are now adopted as his children. So we are adopted as his children. And this adoption means that we are now accepted. If it was not for Christ, we could not be accepted by our Father in heaven. Paul clearly states those who live by the flesh do not please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What that means is those who choose to live in sin and desires the lust of the flesh, and just gives in to the ways of the world, cannot please God. Why? Because there is a separation between them and Him. And the bridge to, to cover that separation is only through Christ. So here we are, and here's one thing that, that is it's kind of painful 
And it's hard to really understand that there are people that we know, people that we care for, people that we love, that do not please the Lord. That they do not please the Lord. Because they choose to live in the flesh. They are ones that are comfortably living in sin. They desire sinful habits. They just continually participating in sin. And here they are. And they, you know, the question is, I asked at the, at the beginning of this is, are you in Christ? I guess another question I could follow that up with is, how important to you is salvation? See, if we aren't careful, careful, some people will view salvation as something that they will take care of, you know, once they reach a certain age. Or some people will view salvation as something that they will take care of, you know, once things settle down in life. And once I have time, or some people will view salvation as something that, um, you know, once I get tired of living in this sinful lifestyle, I'll, I'll finally address it. And one thing I would do is I would share with you the, the uh, quote of Francis Chan, a guy that some of you may know of, many of you may know of, or all of you, I don't know. He's been a, a public figure in the Christian world for many, many years now. And I can remember listening to him in a, in a sermon or a, or a conversation. And he said, you should not go to sleep. You should not go to work tomorrow. You should not do anything until you are in right standing with God. Don't go to sleep because if you sleep, you may not wake up. Don't go to work tomorrow because you may not, you do not know what tomorrow may hold. Do not do anything until you are in right standing with the Lord. But for so many people, it's just something that we'll do later. You know, I'm really comfortable living where I am and I'm really comfortable participating in the things I participate in and I'm really comfortable just living in the desires of my flesh. And here's what happens. If we are not careful, that moment of conversion may never come. And what we will do is we will lead lives ending in eternal condemnation and we have no one else to blame but ourselves. No one. So here's what my fear is. There are going to be people that walk in these doors and I hope and I pray the opposite, but there is a very high probability because Jesus said that the, the narrow gate is traveled by few and the wide gate is traveled by many. There is a very high probability that there will be people who come in here week after week after week, or maybe visit every, every month or twice a month or whatever it may be, who will leave here continuing to lead lives in the flesh. And we may exhaust ourselves pouring ourselves into people. You may know someone that you exhaust yourself sharing the gospel with. You, I may know people that I exhaust myself trying to love and to point to the Lord, but find in themselves that they have no desire to put to death the desires of the flesh and to be one in Christ. So in Christ, condemnation is canceled. In Christ, we may be adopted. And in Christ, we may be his children. So what does it look like to be in Christ? What does it look like to be in Christ? Well, let me just share with you a few, a few sentences, and then we'll finish up. For those of you who may be wondering, well, am I really in Christ or am I not? Let me just share this. In Christ alone, we are saved by grace through faith. And that's carried out into our everyday lives in these ways. We recognize we are sinners who are in desperate need of salvation. And you and I are the sinners, not the saviors. 
We believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the punishment for all of our sin, all the sin of the world, including our own. We confess that he is the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God, and the one that rose from the dead. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We repent as we are born again and made new, made to be new creation. And now our spirit cries out to our Father. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. And through his word and through his spirit, we are reminded we are his children. Even in moments of failure and mistake, we are reminded of his love. Even in moments of failure and mistake, we are reminded of his grace. Even in moments of failure and mistake, we are reminded of his mercy in moments of failure and mistake. And what happens is, you and I, through his spirit, are to be transformed in his way. So one thing that you could, you could just do a simple self-analysis is this. Is there a difference in my life now? Or am I still doing the same things that I did before I was in Christ? Am I still speaking the same way that I did before I was in Christ? Am I still participating in the same habits or lifestyles that I did before I was in Christ? If there is no change, we might find that our conversion may not have been as sincere as we thought it once was, and we are actually still leading lives in the flesh. If we are not walking by the Spirit, we cannot please God. And here is what I will tell you. If you are walking in step with the Spirit, if you are being cultivated by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, there is no way that there is not evidence of transformation. There is no way that there is not evidence in your life of redemption and being a new creation. So Paul said that those who are in Christ are new creatures. Behold, the old has what? Passed away. The old has what? Passed away. Has the old passed away? Has your old passed away? Has your old hobby passed away? Not that it's it, not, not your hobby if it's not a bad hobby, but has your old habit passed away? Has your old free time passed away? And are you doing it because you have been made new in Christ or are you doing it because, well, now I feel guilty for a few weeks and now I'm going to change and then I'm going to go right back to it. No, no, we should have a hunger and a thirst. And in our spirit, we should be crying out to our Father, Abba, Father. You know, one of the things I've said over the course of time here, and, you know, if you've been a child or a teenager, you know, and as a father... I recognize that one of the greatest desires for children is to please their father, is to make daddy proud. I want to make dad proud. Anybody here remember you wanted to make dad proud? And one thing that I've asked over and over and over from this pulpit is, are you making your heavenly father proud? We have the same desire in our spiritual walk to make our father in heaven proud. Well, here is what I will tell you. Paul says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this is the way I want to end it today. We're getting ready to sing a song titled, Good, Good Father. Kind of fitting for today. Um, But here's what I want to remind you of as we get ready to sing that song and worship one last time. Your Father in heaven knew that you could not live to His standard. Your Father in heaven knew just how big of a failure and, and a poor excuse of a human I would be at times in my life. Your heavenly Father knew that you would always fall short of His glory. So what did our heavenly Father do? Our heavenly Father, who loved you and I so much, sent His only Son to what? Crush Him on a cross. So our Heavenly Father, to fulfill the law, Paul says, sent His only Son. So being a good, good Father, isn't it, isn't it right? I mean, being a dad, I recognize I will do anything for my children. I'll do anything to help them or to, or to save them or to, you know, shepherd them or to protect them. I will do anything for them. Well, the same is true with your Heavenly Father. So here is my plead with you today. If you recognize that the old has not passed away and you're still living in the old, then I want you to put to death the old. I want you to confess it to your father. I don't need to know all that you've done. Your neighbor doesn't need to know all that you've done. Your father in heaven knows and he needs to hear you confess it to him. The same lips that confess all of my sin is the same lips that confess he is the one that saved me from my sin, rose on the third day, and he is the only way that I will live forever and ever. My prayer is that if you are here today living according to the flesh, that you would put the flesh to death so that you may live because if you live according to your flesh not only can you not please god or make him proud in our everyday lives but we will eventually find ourselves being rightfully condemned to eternal separation sentence in a place that we will never be able to say why well, did not know or deserve to be here my prayer is that each and every one here would be made new Each and every one here would find themselves walking according to the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can live inside of me, inside of you. And bear witness with you for the rest of your life to be His children, to make Him proud, to glorify His name, and to live your life in a way that your condemnation has been canceled and you have now been adopted as His son, His daughter. Let's pray.